Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, Just a little housekeeping, this podcast will come out in late September. We appreciate all of you that are connecting with the book I wrote. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. I encourage you to continue to share the book with others. Um, Go rate the book on Amazon, and we'll continue to um, um, share the book with others. The book, as uh, many of you know, isn't much about me. It's mostly about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. There's hundreds of stories in there and also parents of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. So the goal of the book is to answer complex questions in this space, but but let people in this space do the answering of the questions. And so some of my heroes are part of the book. Um, The book proceeds are dedicated to um, a young man who died by suicide, gay teenager named Stockton Powers, and his parents started Peculiar. And my guests on the podcast will talk about that wonderful organization towards the end of the podcast. And that's a good transition. Um, Today's podcast is um, a couple in a same-sex marriage. They were married on July 11th. Um, They're both return missionaries. Um, Alex Hadley-Hone and Parker Hadley-Hone, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having us. Is that the correct way to say your name? (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yes. Yep. And just tell us how you decided, because you're married and you're both have kept your last name's in your name. How did you decide to do that? Alex, you get to answer that one. Jeez. <laughs> um, I, I always thought, I think we just wanted the hyphenation because um, we wanted to keep our family name going for one, but cool. it's not legal yet. But once we have kids, it'll become legal. It's yeah. legal on Facebook. So is yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. If and it's Instagram. legal on Facebook, it's <laughs> legal in our books. That's so for sure. So who got... Hey, it's Hadley Hone. How did you decide the order? It sounds better. Hone Hadley just doesn't have the same ring to it. Let's be honest. <laughs> All right. I'm going with that. <laughs> uh, just to give you a little background on these men, um, look, just looking at my notes here, um, Parker is 28. He grew up in Orem, Mountain View High School, served a mission in Nova Scotia. Um, is a BYU um, graduate, came out of the ad program. For those of you that know that program, it's one of the top programs in the whole country. And um, our son is a senior in that program, so we have a soft spot for that program. And it's a harder program. Well, it's just more complicated with COVID, like every program is in college right now. So he's managing that. Um, served a mission in um, Nova Scotia, as I mentioned, came out gay. The first person he came out to was his mission president. That may came up come up and then um, just continued moving forward in his life. And as I mentioned, is um, married to Alex, got married on July 11th, 2020. So that's just a little bit of overview on Parker. His dad, Jack Hadley, was on the podcast. He actually officiated at your wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, Jack Hadley's active LDS, um, is an adjunct professor at BYU, wrote a wonderful essay just as feelings about the marriage that he officiated at. He's episode 313. If you'd like to scroll back and listen to the father of Parker and just how that LDS family supported this couple. And and Jack's pretty open about, he didn't reluctantly support this couple. He's, you know, pretty excited about their marriage and their future together. And um, Every parent's going to have a different feeling about, you know, a child choosing a same-sex marriage. So I'm not trying to say everybody should feel like Jack feels, but I think it's important to feel everybody's perspective. And perhaps we can all learn from Jack and, um, and some of the things that he shared. 
Um, anything I need to correct from a bio, Parker? No, that's very accurate. I'm impressed. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'll see if I can look at the right side of my page. Alex is 32. Yep. Um, grew up in um, North Ogden. Pleasant View. Pleasant View, which is north of Ogden. Yeah, by North Ogden, yeah. And um, and served a mission in Salt Lake City in Fiji. And um, I'm not, I'm, and um, works in the family business and um, sort of knew he was gay from early on and will share his story. These two have been together for about five and a half, six years. And as I mentioned just recently, so they've had a long-term relationship. It kind of has had, you know, um, separating for a short period of time that resulted in just a feeling that their relationship is right and they want to spend the rest of their life together. Um, tell us about the company you work for, the family company you work for, Alex. Uh, yeah, so uh, my family owns a propane company, and basically we just service areas that don't have natural gas, or and we do like small barbecue tanks and stuff like that as well. And has COVID made you less busy or more busy? A lot busier, especially <laughs> when that earthquake happened. We got lots of business. Because <laughs> everybody's worried about being reliant on anything, so yes. they want to do their own stuff. Yeah. We love preppers. Yes, we preppers love Preppers are great. <laughs> That's awesome. Some... You know, my regular listeners kind of know how I feel about this space, but if you're listening for the first time, I'm an active LDS father of six kids. We don't have any LGBTQ kids. I'm a former YSA bishop that just had a couple gay men and and felt impressed to step in this space following the release of my assignment. I support and sustain our church and our doctrine and our leaders. I'm not inviting anybody to not follow the teachings of our church, but this is more like, what do we do? if two people come together and want to spend their lives together in a same-sex marriage. And I just want to humanize these guys and find common ground in our differences Um, because the world's so divisive right now and we're so divided that I like doing these podcasts to help us find common ground and show respect. I think that's what our heavenly parents would like us to do. And so, you know, that's why I want you to hear their stories. My hope and prayer is that um, kind of three groups of people will pick up things from this podcast that will be helpful. If you're LGBTQ, and a lot of you are, and a lot of you may be closeted, my hope is that the things that Alex and Parker share will help you and give you especially hope. And if you're depressed and suicidal and just feel like there's no hope for you, that they will share things because they're further down this road that will help you. And perhaps Peculiar will be part of the solution for you or the help. If you're parents of LGBTQ kids, this is a complicated space and there's no like owner's manual and Relief Society or Priesthood on how to do this. Um, I hope my book helps and other things, but it especially helps from hearing people like Jack Hadley on 313, but also from Alex and Parker. So I'm hoping that as you hear things they share, it'll give you more insights for your own kids. And if you're a local leader um, in the church and just wanting to know how to navigate this space. Perhaps there'll be things in this podcast that help you. So let's start with Alex. All right. <laughs> I just made that up randomly. That wasn't planned ahead of time. <laughs> it's all good. Um, now I've got to look at my notes here to make sure I've got, I'm going to ask you guys the right questions. Um, let's just, what we're going to do, the format is we're going to, you know, we're going to have Alex share his story kind of, pre-meeting Parker and Parker share his story, pre-meeting Alex. 
And then we're going to talk about them coming together. And then we talk about the marriage and then we're going to talk about peculiar. So Alex, just, um, you know, I don't know where you want to start here. If you want to start pre-mission or mission, do you want to start the MTC experience? Yeah, um, we can definitely start there. Um, so like any 19 year old at the time, um, I was called to serve a mission to Fiji and I was really excited. Um, I, I, um, one day, I mean, sorry, the day that we went to the MTC, um, I started to kind of get a cold, but it wasn't anything bad. And so we went, my parents dropped me off, said our goodbyes. And because the Fiji mission is so small, I was the only one there because the rest of the people um, serving in the Fiji mission were still flying in. So I was in this room all by myself. I could kind of feel myself getting a little bit sicker. But anyway, everyone comes. We go to the classes at night. And I was asked a question. And my tonsils started, like, hitting each other. And I was super sick. And so I told my leader that I was sick and I need help. And basically they just thought I was homesick. So, um, I said, I need to call my mom because they were not believing my story. And so finally, uh, the leader called my mom and while that was happening, his wife said, let me just look at your throat. So she looked at my throat and said, we need to send you to the ER right now. Like it looked really bad. Anyway, they, they didn't do that. I went home the next day I had surgery, Wow! but with that, I had a lot of guilt because I was so excited to serve a mission. And at the time I thought I was worthy, but then I didn't feel worthy because I was gay. And so I thought this was God punishing me for being gay. Yikes. So, um, a lot of guilt overcame, came me. And I remember, uh, just being in the bathtub. Um, and I wasn't released either. So I was still a missionary, but um, I just started sobbing and my mom started knocking on the bathroom door and she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I have something to tell you. So I got out, I went into their office and I told her that I was gay. So her first <laughs> instinct was you need to talk to the state president. Cause she thought it was like probably the worst thing that could happen. So the next day I met with the state president and he actually told me I have bigger issues to deal with. I need you to take this to your bishop. So I went to my bishop and I told him, and that Sunday after I got back, um, I was at sacrament meeting and we had a general authority in our ward and he was quite upset that I came home so soon. And so, and he, I think heard of my situation. So he took me into the bishop's office after sacrament meeting and he had me write synopsis each week of the type of life I should be living versus what I could be living. And then he um, said I needed to go to corrective therapy. But luckily, my mom said we have a family psychologist we've been seeing, and we'll send him that route rather than through LDS Family Services. So, so then um, I went to my psychologist, and my psychologist is active LDS, but he also believes in free agency and the ability to choose your own path. And that was very helpful for me because the guilt and the shame, I didn't feel as much through his teachings, but anyway, so he didn't tell me what to do. He just said, I'm helping you choose what's going to make you happy. And the biggest turn in my story at that time was he had brought Christ in 
and he had me picture Christ was in there in the room with me and he had him hold on to my shoulder. So I'm gonna get emotional now. Um, and he said, I'm gonna ask Christ some questions for you. And he said, Jesus, do you love Alex? And he had me respond for Christ because he wanted me to see Christ's perspective. And I said, yes. And then he says, do you love Alex? He asked Jesus, do you love Alex even though he's gay? And I answered and said, yes. And that's all I needed. That's, I knew then that God, Christ, they all loved me and I was gonna be fine. Um, obviously there's gonna be struggle and strife, but I knew it was gonna be okay. Cause for the first time from all the cultural stuff you're taught in, in the church, I got my own answer. And it wasn't that I resented or hated God. I grew closer to him. And it was really, really neat for me. That's a really good story. Yeah. Um, chapter six of this book is the atonement of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of stories about the atonement not changing my sexual orientation, mm -hmm. just like it can't change my eye color, but healing my broken heart. Yes. And I felt like for the if, if you know God loves you, then it's easier to love yourself. Because it's hard. Most of my experiences are so much inter internalized homophobia. It's pretty hard to love yourself. Oh yeah. And if people can love you with this part about you, and especially God, then it's easier for you to love yourself. I love how simple that was for you. Yeah. It was. It was a game changer for me for sure. And we can all do that for people. I mean, we can all connect people to Christ. Mm -hmm. um, keep telling your story. Yeah. Um, I think there's a section here about Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of <laughs> Gethsemane in Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah so um, just like to wrap up kind but of you can, the, yeah, yeah. Talk about your mission in Fiji and Salt yeah, Lake. Yeah. So um, I, during that time, they had me serve in Salt Lake to get recovered from surgery as well as they wanted me mentally stable. Um, and so I served in Salt Lake for a year. It was a great experience. And then I happened to go to Fiji and was kind of assigned to be an undercover missionary. Cool. Yeah. So I was on this really primitive island um, and I got to run a branch and there was like six inactive members there. And we held church in the back of this guy's shop. And it was one of the, was the most amazing experience of my life. It's really cool. And um, anyway, long story short, missionaries are now there and they're now, I think they have a stake now. So that's what's really cool about it. And I was like, tell our listeners the name of ge the geography, the specific geography you were there. So I was on the island of Kandavu. Okay. Um, so that's just uh, south of the main island of Viti Levu. And yeah, so they're part of like the, the Viti Levu stake, but they're in a stake now, brothers that's in really a branch. Cool. So, so that was great news. We found out last yeah, year. Yeah, we just found out about that actually. It was a really interesting thing to hear. Yeah, because we're at the Polynesian Cultural Center in mm -hmm. Hawaii. Yeah. It's really cool. And I started crying. <laughs> thank you for your service. Thanks. You know, thank you for all you've done to help people come unto Christ, Alex. Thank you. And and if your mom's listening, I think it's really cool that I think parent personal revelation about what to do with their kids is really important. And I love that she acted on her impression that to get you to this psychologist that would be the right thing for you to help you on your path. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this, that's what a lot of my feeling is that parents are pretty open and willing to just seek personal revelation for their kids. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's you moms that sort of, in our family, it's often my wife that just has these insights about our kids. Yeah. I think that's just something that Heavenly Father, Heavenly Parents give to moms. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I'm pretty lucky for the mom I've had, um, have. She obviously butted heads sure. with my choices, but ultimately, I'm so emotional now, but she is like, she saved me. I, she's been my guardian angel here. So. I, I can be more grateful for that, even though we do have many differences. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. What a compliment. She saved you. Mm-hmm. Keep telling your story. Yeah. So anyway, I got back from my mission. Um, then came to the point where what's next? I, I did some schooling and I actually dated a, a guy. Um, it was very toxic. It was a a bad relationship, but I was in that for two years. And that relationship made me second guess going down the the gay path because it was horrible for me. So I actually got, I confessed, got more involved in the church. I actually um, had church callings and stuff like that. And then I was dating this girl and it was, she was an amazing, amazing woman. Um, but I couldn't even kiss her. I couldn't hold her hand. Like it just, it wasn't an attraction for me. And so at that time I was very conflicted on what, where I should go because I was going to wreck this girl pretty much like her heart. And ultimately, um, what happened was she wanted to get married and I needed to find out what I needed to do. And that's when I met Parker and I, long story short, I ended the relationship with her and I told myself, I can't do that to a girl again. Like there's no way I can hurt someone so much because she was so willing to like, I came out to her and she was like, you can be gay. It's okay. I will, we'll get through this. We'll get past it. We can make it work. And it put me in a deep depression. Cause it's like, why would you like, settle yourself for that. Like you're so much better. Like you're an amazing woman. You deserve the best and I'm not that for you, but that's what she wanted. So anyway, uh, Parker and I had met and then we've, we dated for some time. And then I, I travel with my parents a lot. My mom and I travel all over the world together, but we went to Israel and, um, I prayed before I went and I, I asked God, I was like, please help me know that like me going down the gay path is the right thing for me. And that it's okay to, to marry a man. Cause that's what I want, but I want to also do what's right. And so, um, we were in the garden Gethsemane and Michael Wilcox was our instructor there. And he gave... This is a Fun for Less tour. It was a fun... We go on a lot of Fun for Less tours. We should plug Fun... We never plug anybody in this podcast. We don't have any sponsors, but we love Fun for Less, my wife and I. She has loved Michael Wilcox forever. And I've sort of been like... And then we went on a Fun for Less for Michael Wilcox. And Uh we went to Jerusalem and it just changed my life. Yeah. And I love... It's amazing. It's just amazing. And he is an incredible instructor. Yeah. But keep telling your story. Yeah. So um, basically, like, what, just referring back to my psychology that I went through, um, my psychologist told me that most men look at God as their most dominant male figure. And I love my dad, but he's just a hardcore black and white 
LDS guy. And so there was no if, ands, or buts on things, there's no room for moving. And so I looked at God as very strict and like very black and white and lack of empathy. But Michael Wilcox gave this lesson on God having empathy. And I just, I got my answer through that lesson because I knew Christ had empathy, but I just thought God was like the enforcer. And, but then I felt a deep sense of love from God that I've never felt before. And it was, I, I was, it was amazing for me, but I, that was my answer. And I knew that it was okay that I was gay, that I was to marry a man. And it's been a pretty good past since then. Cause I found a really good person. <laughs> Talk about, um, you're doing a great job, Alex. Talk mm. about depression and suicide. Yeah. Is that ever part of your journey? Yes. Um, you know, junior high was a very hard experience for me. Um, in sixth grade, that's, I know some elementary schools go to fifth grade, but my elementary school went to sixth grade. And I was kind of a more popular kid. Um, I was an athlete and whatnot, and I was well-liked. But then when we transitioned to junior high, I was bullied pretty badly. Um, and it got to the point where, I mean, you see these movies and see people eating the, the boys' bathroom, the girls' bathroom, but I legit ate in the boys' bathroom. <laughs> and all I did was like a roll with ranch. And But I was a talk for a lot of people. Like, they talked a lot about me saying I was gay and a lot of these people didn't like me because we played sports together and we we're just competing because it's now the time where you're going to get your positions in, in school sports. So um, I was a very extroverted kid, but once when that bullying started, I was so introverted and it got to the point where one day I was in the bathtub, all my experiences are in the bathtub, and I just tried going under the water and hoping that I'd drown. But um, something pulled me out. Um, I know it was, uh, I don't know if it was an angel or a God or whatever, but I was pulled out. And I think my mom also was just very in tune with what was going on because I, I wasn't open about it then. I was terrified because I knew that I was gay. These people could see I was gay, but I couldn't come to terms for my own self. And so I didn't know how to, to vocalize that to, to closer people to me. My mom, my mom was very in tune and ironic. I'm not ironically, but I, I got a dog and she was very in tune as well. And she knew when I was sad and always lay by my side. And so that, that really saved me. But it, it kept going on to high school, even to where like in high school soccer, I couldn't even change in the boys locker room because it was so bad. And so I drive home, change just for practice too, and then come back um, and go to practice and stuff. But it was, it was pretty relentless. And my mom, like I said, just, she did everything she could to, to make my life the best it could be. Those are tender topics. Um, mm -hmm. Thanks for being open and talking about that. Yeah. You know, I think it gives hope to other people that are in the same situation that if Alex can get out of that space, maybe I can too. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it helps people to be that transparent. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, Parker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> talk, let's, 
Where do you want to start? Oh I know I gosh. kind of mentioned you came out to your mission presence the first person, but why don't you talk about junior high and high school? Yeah, just yeah. life, like what life was like for you and growing up in Utah County. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I like um, like it was said before, I grew up in Orem, uh, in the heart of Utah County, Family City, USA, and it was. Overall, um, if I was to give my childhood and teenage uh, years and a rating, I'd probably give it like an eight out of 10 because I felt very lucky. I felt very lucky to be raised in the family that I was raised. Um, you know, my dad is obviously making huge strides in trying to help um, the LGBT community and kind of bond uh, the church community with that. And it's been, it's been very uh, humbling and I'm very grateful to have a dad that is willing to almost be, not to say that I'm not supportive of the LGBT community, but he is next level um, to not be LGBT himself and be as involved as he is. So I'm very grateful for that. And, and that's something my dad has always exemplified is just a lot of support and love. And even though we've had uh, occasional struggle in the past due to this issue of being LGBT, Overall, I think um, it was more those issues more so rooted from um, not really knowing what to do, um, where he didn't know how to react to me being gay and I didn't know how to react to me being gay. And it ultimately ended in awkwardness and occasional contention. But um, he was always still so loving and caring. And my mom was always my support growing up. My mom was very kind and loving and always willing to give a hug um, and just very um, supportive and loving of every one of her kids. And my siblings were always very nice to me. I just had a great family and, and I feel very blessed to have such a great family. They've always been that way since I was a little kid. Um, my, my ward growing up, um, it was a good ward. I can't complain too much about it because it didn't really affect me negatively, even though I think it could have. Um, I didn't really get along with anybody my age. Um, I got along better with the girls in the neighborhood than I did with, you know, the deacon's quorum and the teacher's quorum and things like that. I, I was bullied kind of severely, not to the level that Alex was ever bullied, I believe, but um, I'm pretty tall. I was kind of the tallest in my class growing up all the time. And I was horrible at basketball. And that resulted in a lot of um, trauma. And it's kind of silly, but at the same time, that's that's what the boys cared about when you were young, right? It was how good you were at basketball and all these sports and things like that. Um, so I pretty quickly drifted away from my ward family um, because of that. I felt like it wasn't a safe space for me just because I would get bullied and harassed all the time. Um, so I kind of drifted more towards my school friends and people that were outside of my ward, somewhere in my stake and things like that. Um, but overall, I had great friends. I had a lot of really wonderful people that um, I would hang out with all the time. And uh, I participated in sports as well. I was a swimmer in high school and I was in student council and I did choir and I was just I, I kept my mind occupied. And I think that was something that was really big for me growing up, knowing that I was gay even. I, I think I finally felt like, I, I didn't really know how to describe the term like of what I felt when I first started feeling feelings towards men, but 
I knew there was something different about me um, than all the other boys that I would hang out with. And um, I think it was kind of a, um, a change in mentality for me uh, as far as um, being empathetic during those years of my life. Cause I never felt exclusive to a certain group of people. Cool. Um, I would kind of just jump around everywhere. I'd hang out with every, you know, high school quote unquote click that you could imagine. And I, and I, I just felt like I kind of just wanted to be friends with everybody because of those feelings that I had of being bullied growing up and then kind of switching gears when I was in my teenage years and kind of becoming the, I, I don't like puffing up my ego at all, by the way, but I, I really did feel like I was kind of more in the popular kids group. And, and I, I didn't allow myself to ever feel too exclusive to that, though. I always wanted to be friends with everybody. So um, my church experience was interesting and, and different as far as like the people that I grew up with, because I feel like people kind of just bond with their ward friends when they're kids, but that was not, that was not the case for me at all. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with this, to you're be doing, honest. But. You're doing good. You're just <laughs> doing a good job telling your story. Yeah. Talk about your ward. You, you kind of mentioned you didn't really bond with the men your age, the young men your age. Yeah. And that makes sense. And you both have this, um, this experience with bullying. And I just think we as local leaders and we just, there's, I think we all know that that would not, that's not acceptable. Christ would never, there's no example where he would be fine with being bullied. And so stopping the gay jokes, creating a culture, we say that's so gay, we make gay jokes. I call that common enemy intimacy. We just sort of, we connect over sort of saying unkind things about a different group of people. And we just need to live a higher, holier law where we're not doing that. And you guys have felt the pain of that. And that's not right. And I think everybody can agree that we got to stop that because mm-hmm. it doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like some of that was going on in both your lives. And yeah, yeah just pick up where you want to as far as your ward or then going on a mission, yeah. coming out to your mission present. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of a good point to talk about my mission. I My whole teenage years and, and even childhood years, you know, you're told in the church that, you should serve a mission if you're a boy. And that's just something that you should do. There's kind of no and if or buts about it, unless there's certain extraneous circumstances. So even though I knew I was gay, I, I knew that that was something that I wanted to at least try. Um, I didn't really feel a deep connection with serving a mission, to be honest, my whole life. Like I never really felt like it was something that was like essential to my salvation or anything like that. Like I feel like a lot of young men feel it's kind of this pressure that if you don't serve well you kind of have a lower reserved spot in the kingdom of god or something like that but for me i never really felt that way that was something that was just kind of like the process of growing up was serving a mission so my whole goal and mentality before i served was just okay parker just get on the mission just get on the mission everything will be fine if you serve the mission and whether or not that uh, obviously my whole teenage years because of being in the church and, and being heavily influenced by a lot of the teachings of, of not only my ward members, but, you know, the higher ups in the church. I thought that maybe serving a mission would remove this part 
of my life from me is that I wouldn't have a desire to be with men or date men anymore. And um, I served my mission and <laughs> on my mission, it was really, really hard for me, not only because missions are just hard for anybody, but um, obviously being roommates with other guys that are your age. And I, I, I don't understand why I would always get paired with the most attractive men on this planet on my mission. Literally every one of my companions I was attracted to, which made it even harder for me. But um, after about the year mark, I, I, I was just so depressed. I was just struggling so much. I was preaching things that I maybe didn't even necessarily believe in myself. I wasn't really sure uh, what I wanted out of life or what I believed in. And um, I told my mission president, I came out to him. And, and that was something that should have been hard, I think. But I think because I was in so much distress and I was having such a hard time, it was something that kind of just happened. I wasn't really planning on coming out to him. I was just going to go in there and say, hey, like, I can't do this anymore. I need to go home. And I was just kind of going to kind of leave it at that. But I ended up um, coming out and telling him, you know, about some things in my past that I maybe had not totally cleared up because um, that's what you're told to do if there's things like that, that you go on a mission and you still have things on your mind that you're dealing with um, that you're supposed to tell your mission president. So I did that, but he encouraged me to stay. And um, much to uh, my you know, reluctancy, I ended up staying for the rest of my mission. And things got better over time. Um, I think God was looking out for me and said, okay, let's make this just a little bit easier for him. Like he, he needs some help. And, and I've always had a deep belief in God. And, and I know that if I hadn't had that belief on my mission, that I, that I would have for sure gone home at that time because it was just, it was too hard for me. Um, came home from my mission from Nova Scotia, uh, Canada. And I just, that was probably the hardest time period of my life was those six months or so after I got back from my mission. Um, I'm glad I didn't come home early because I think it would have been a lot harder having the guilt of coming home early from a mission. Um, whether or not that was going to be from my peers or, or people in the church or whatever, or if it would be my own personal internalized issue. Um, either way, it would have been really tough for me. Um, but I was really depressed because up until that point, it was always just serve a mission, serve a mission, serve a mission. Like that is your ultimate goal. That is your end goal. And I didn't really think beyond that. And suddenly I was home and I was like, okay, well, I finished my life task. What do I do now? Like there is, there's nothing I can think of that I should be doing now besides finding a girlfriend and getting married and having an eternal family. And, um, that scared me a lot. Um, I, I felt like there was no, I felt like no matter what I did, it was going to be selfish. Um, I don't consider myself a selfish, selfish person. Um, so it would have been selfish for me to date a girl and um, kind of try to do what the church had taught me uh, and what I had internalized growing up um, because I would be selfish in the sense where I wouldn't really be doing what I wanted to do, but I'd be doing it for my own eternal salvation and that's it. And that felt very wrong to me. Um, 
And same on the other token, dating a guy where I'd be fulfilling this emotional and um, uh, side of my life that was obviously very important to me and, and what I wanted to fulfill. But um, would that be worth at the time what I thought was trashing basically my entire mission experience and all of my church experience? And there was no solution for me at the time. And I didn't really know what to do. Um, and eventually it got to the point that I was so depressed that I just said, I have to do something. Like, I can't just sit here in this limbo and not make a decision because if I keep doing that, then I'm probably going to, you know, get suicidal and, and have a lot of issues. Um, so I ended up getting uh, on a dating app. And I found Alex and Alex was the first person that I actually went on a real date with. I mean, I went on a lot of dates with girls before then, but this was a real date. This was someone I was actually interested in. So um, that was just kind of that six months was just reeling and emotion and sadness. And then I went on this date and I was still kind of in the state, but at least I was fulfilling something and I felt mildly happier, if not way happier, um, considering how sad I was at the time. Um, and that has kind of just over long story short, I mean, it's that feeling of overcoming, you know, some kind of spiritual damnation has kind of, um, been completely overcome. Like that feeling of just being stuck is completely gone for me. And that's not just with my emotional and physical life. That's everything. Like I feel closer to God than I've ever felt. I feel more uh, comfortable with who I am and um, what I stand for than I ever have. And I really attribute the ability that God has given us to exercise our own choices and free agency um, to that feeling. And that's kind of made me realize like the ultimate gift that we have been given is the ability to choose just like the church taught when I was a little kid. Um, there's obviously a lot of things that I struggle with, with the church. Um, there's a lot of things that I don't understand. Um, but my fear of God is not there anymore. I think God is empathetic. I think he is loving. I think he's affectionate and I think he's wanting to help every single one of us through our struggles and I think my fear of man has also been eliminated. I'm completely open about who I am now. I'm completely honest. And I'm willing to talk to anybody and everyone about my experience now because there's no fear there. I mean, I don't care who knows that I'm gay. I don't care who knows that I still go to church and I still participate in church activities and I try to be as involved as I possibly can. And you get backlash from both sides. Sometimes you get backlash from those that are LGBT and may have left the church and they say, well, how are you doing that? And then you also get backlash from those that are in the church sometimes that are very active and they say, well, how are you doing that? They say the exact same question. And I think the ultimate thing that I've learned is that there's a gray area. There's a huge gray area that nobody understands yet. So, and I don't, I don't think anyone's going to get a grasp on that anytime soon, to be honest. So we just have to be honest with ourselves. Those are really good segments. Um, 
I'm going to follow up with a Michael Wilcox quote to what you just said, ironically, <laughs> that's out of my book. It's, it's in reference to understanding transgender people, but it really, under, it really scales to just um, life in general. And Michael Wilcox says, in some matters, it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will still leave us with a great deal to be certain about by maintaining a humility to learn. So I just love the perspective of that. It's really what you both are teaching is just let's be open to learn and especially for LGBTQ people and their stories and be open to just improvements we need to make within ourselves to make life better for you. Um, talk about, I'm going to ask you some more questions, Parker. Yeah. Um, how did your feelings about over being raised in the church change over the course of your childhood and teenage years? Do you still feel this way or is some... Or this way, or has that changed now? Um, I feel like that there has been kind of obviously the fluxes and flows of just growing up in the church. You kind of have these moments where you have this deep, intense um, fear of God over decisions that you make. And that was no different for me trying to figure out my sexuality. Um and then there's kind of this other side socially with your family and friends where you have moments like that too. And I will say that now my, my fear of God has been for the most part completely eliminated in the sense of I don't fear his wrath anymore. I, I look to his love instead of fear the wrath of him. And um, as far as my family goes, that, that's kind of the one thing that can be unconditional, right? Like the one thing that can be unconditional, unconditional in our lives is those around us showing their love. And with God, that's unchanging. God will always show his love to his children. It doesn't matter what they've done or what they're doing. They, they still will be loved. So I think as far as my feelings towards the church have gone, um, yes, I have my issues with it, but at the same time, that's where my values are deeply rooted. Um, not only my personal values, but I know God loves me because of the church and that has taught me that ultimately, um, as far as their teachings and, and families being the central unit to, um, God's ultimate plan, the plan of salvation. Um, that's always been something that has been very strong with me um, because my family always did love me through thick and thin. And um, I might be moving forward a little bit too fast here, but Peculiar um, kind of mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's, it's, a, it's a charity and, and nonprofit that um, teaches families and, and their friends how to unconditionally love LGBTQ people, um, whether that be their children, whether that be their brothers or sisters or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, it's just, it's about, all about communication and love. And I think my feelings towards um, the unconditional love, well, occasionally the conditional love of families is slowly moving in a better direction as far as um, aligning with God's love as organizations like Peculiar continue to push that in that direction. So I just want mutual love between all people. And that's kind of where all of my goals lie now is I already know God loves me. Now it's time to, now it's time to help other people realize like 
you can love everybody regardless of what they choose and regardless of their decisions. And that's a very spiritual thing for me. I feel like that's where my religion is now, is it's not necessarily centralized in the LDS church. It's centralized in the idea of love. And um, that's something that I hold very personally. And I think God would agree that that's something that's very important to, to achieve in this life is to teach, is to love and teach others how to love. It's a really good segment. Um, I put this, this is in the book and this is a tweet from Dar Harper Don Forsgren. And um, I put this on my social media. We as, we need to love people. Uh, sorry, we as members of the church need to stop focusing on quote, we need to love people because our love will bring them back to the church and instead focus on, we need to love people because they deserve to be loved. And I, I write here, I agree with Harper, love with no agenda is the kind of love that keeps friendship and families together. In my experience, people on the receiving end of this kind of love are most likely to open up if their feelings change or they need help. And so there's a little bit of agenda, a little bit in the end of my comment there, if they need help or their feelings change. But I just think what you just taught, what you're both teaching is the doctrine of Christ. And keeping my covenants, I, I kind of talk about this sometimes, doesn't give me the right to, to judge you guys if you're keeping your covenants. Um, and I also talk about, I think we create a false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God, I need to stop loving some of his children. I just don't, I don't see that anywhere in the life of Christ and what he did and what he role modeled. So I love what you're teaching. And I wondered if, you know, LGBTQ is one of the defining issues of the church and society right now. And I wonder if this is by design to teach us how to love and to bring us to a higher plane of, of understanding the doctrine of Christ and implementing it in our lives. So those are some of the things I think about on my long morning walks. Um, that's a really good segment. Do you want to talk any more, Parker, about um, any of the things that you sent me ahead of time in some of these questions, or, um, or do you feel like you've covered it? Um, I think the one thing that I would say, just to kind of tie everything up, um, in regards to how I feel about my current church membership and and also about how I feel about God, is ultimately like the decisions of the church will not affect my membership unless it's forced upon me because I believe that there are so many people out there that need love and that need support from the LGBT community that are LGBT or may, maybe not LGBT. Maybe they're dealing with something, something else, but I, I feel like the LGBT community is extremely capable of empathy towards any situation. Um, just with the crazy political atmosphere of the world right now, it's really it's really hard not for me not to have empathy, even if it's towards something that I completely don't relate to personally or don't understand. So I think Alex and I have both kind of taken the stance where if we, the only way that we're going to leave the church is if we're pushed out and we'll do it pushed kicking out, and yeah. screaming because we are going to fight to stay in so we can help. So it's really remarkable. Um, Bryce Cook talked about the double bind. He helped me understand. He's a father of two gay sons, and he just says, my sons are in a double bind. They actually love the church. 
They've served missions. They've helped people come into Christ the church. They love the church, but they would just love to spend their life with somebody. And that that feeling of being in your 20s and facing six decades of being alone, it just felt spiritual impressions that are supposed to spend their life with somebody. And yeah, we all know that's outside the teachings of the church, but it builds empathy when you look at it that way and and not create these sort of, you. everybody that's LGBTQ that's not living cheats church teachings hates God, hates the church. But your uh, courage <laughs> to stay connected to the church and you're both attending your ward. Um, tell, our, tell our listeners, Alex, just, about attending your ward and what ward you chose and why you chose that ward and the, and the reception you're receiving. Yeah, um, we're fortunate, I'm fortunate to, uh, the ward that we're in is the ward I grew up in. And what's awesome about that is there's people who've known me my entire life and they have built this relationship with me outside of me being gay. So there's no necessarily labels about me. They know me as Alex. And so when I came out and they knew I was engaged in stuff and getting married, we had so much support, so mm-hmm. much love. And our bishop, I, a week before I was mowing the lawn, cause we had our wedding in our backyard and our bishop just gets out of his car. He comes up and hugs me and says, I'm so happy for you. And he says, I'm making the right choice for you. And I couldn't be happier for you. And um, we've had a very supportive bishop, one who, instead of trying to tell you what to do, he tries to understand you. And I feel like that that's what the culture and society lacks sometimes is you're told rather than listening. So that's been very beneficial for us. And we, we just feel so much love and there's, we have, I haven't been given a reason to not go to church. And even though like at times you're, you're in a service and there might be some cringy talks that are, you don't want to hear. Um, I, I, I just pulled the notes because I'm not going to let that individual or that teaching affect my relationship with God. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at. I don't know if you have anything to add. No, no. I mean, I think um, when we go to church, there's always the expectation that we have a little bit of shield up. Like we have a little bit of guard mm-hmm. because, you know, you can't be completely transparent with an organization that inherently... Um, by doctrine, is not fully accepting of you. Um, but at the same time, it is. I think it's more our home now than it has, has ever been because we are open now and because we've been accepted, If I mean, if not fully, at least partially by a lot of people. Um, so when we go to church, I think we just have this certain amount of guard up, but at the same time, we want to feel that um, not only spiritual growth but the but the social part of it as well well what's what's neat too is that when we go to sacrament meeting we haven't been because of covid and stuff but um when we do go we get a lot approached by a ton of people mm-hmm. and they're just so happy to see us it's very positive there hasn't been any negative interaction no no and and that's something that i actually this is the only ward i've ever been in that has i've had zero negative experiences and it's interesting because it is a family ward and I think I kind of anticipated my YSA wards being a little bit more accepting. Um, and I did get a lot of acceptance in YSA wards, but at the same time, there were some of my worst experiences in the church 
as far as LGBTQ um, acceptance and activism goes. Um, some of my worst experiences were in YSA wards. Um, and Alex and I have actually, we went to YSA wards together for a long time. So like a lot of these experiences, we was, they happened when we were together. And that made it even harder for us to sometimes go back. But I think our, our um, goal of, of helping others always was a driving factor of always getting back and, and figuring it out and sometimes sweeping things under the rug a little bit and <laughs> making sure we were still okay with everything. So I like this segment. Um, when I was a new bishop, I couldn't have done what your bishop did, but as I, as I served, I just felt my, I often let the YSA set the direction. I met with many YSAs that weren't even active in the church that I connected with. And, and I, I would always invite them to come to church and live church teachings. I didn't often need to say that. They just knew that's what my job was. Mm -hmm. But I tried to do what your bishop did is just listen and try to understand before I prescribed, before I felt directive at all. And But often I'd let the YSA set the objective and say, what can I do to help you? Some had no immediate desire to return to the church but needed my help in other ways, and I felt comfortable helping them the way they felt I could best help them. And some, and, and I didn't do that with an agenda to get them to come to church. Some ended up sort of through that process become fully active and some didn't, but I just felt at peace. That's was my job. So I love what your Bishop did. And I just think, you know, I've always felt that I've said this a lot in the podcast for you regular listeners. To me, the congregation is wide. Elder Uchtdorf teaches there's no, you know, there's no meat sign that measures the height of your testimony to feel welcome. And I sort of think I extend that say there should be no belief and behavior hurdle to feel welcome in the congregation. The gate shouldn't feel narrow at that point. And I look at what Christ did. He didn't narrow the gate. Now we do have a narrowing of the gate at the temple where there's a belief and behavior hurdle. And most, you know, couples in same-sex marriages have sort of understand that's not possible for them. They're not you know, going to their bishop and say, give me a temple recommend. Mm -hmm. They just want to feel welcome at church. Uh, they know they can't fully participate, but they just want to feel welcome. So it seems like this is what's happening in your ward is just can, is, can happen everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if we're kind to you, I think I recognize we may be less likely to create really angry former Mormons because we don't create a lot of pain. We don't point to you and say, this is what's wrong with the world or, Mm -hmm. We and we just try to see the best in you and support you and 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 we develop empathy for your own. So I just I like what your ward is doing and and it makes it easier I think for you and we don't just make you the you know we mm -hmm. just we can create a lot of anger in people we can create a lot of pain in people that then creates anger and that you felt some of that there's no question and I admire your sort of emotional maturity and spiritual maturity to navigate that. Um, so, and I've always felt um, church discipline for me became more, unless it was required by the handbook, it became more if somebody wanted to fully return. Um, I always, and so I've always felt like, you know, if, like, if, for example, if you two wanted to say, okay, you know, we want to fully, we want to, I want to somehow, like Tom Christofferson did, I want to fully participate in the church again. And get my full temple privileges. I've always felt that's where church discipline can potentially work because it's sort of not a way to bring you down. It's a way to bring it up. Mm -hmm. And it's a positive process. And so 
I don't want to speak for the church or for the handbook, but I would, my hope is that we don't look at couples like you and think we have to proactively implement church discipline because I don't think it accomplishes anything <laughs> unless you feel like, and sometimes with the YSAs, I would say, would church discipline help? I would talk to them about the process and their goals and say, this is what we could do unless it's required by the handbook, which isn't required in your situation anymore. Mm-hmm. It isn't required to implement church discipline. It's, you know, and so just as some thoughts as other leaders, maybe listen to this podcast to consider or people, I just, I have to think, we need to think about the goal of church discipline. Now there's an element to protect the church. And I think that kicks in, especially when it's required. Mm-hmm. Um, but this isn't required anymore as far as I understand the handbook listeners. So I think I'm speaking. So anyway, it's just some thoughts because I think church discipline really works when someone wants to fully return or they feel really good about it. Now there may be situations with couples feel like, even if they don't want to fully return to the church, they're fine going through the process Mm -hmm. um, just because they feel okay about it and they feel it'll be helpful for them and sort of clarify their status in the church, Mm -hmm. even if they want to continue to attend either of you any comments on that? Yeah. yeah um, I would say with our, our situation too, um, I mean, our bishop has asked us questions about our relationship and whatnot, and there we're not going in front of a council or anything. It hasn't happened yet, but we are going to meet with our stake president with our bishop. And I know obviously we won't have double privilege, but I know that we'll still be able to be in the ward and whatnot. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know it's not, severity as what it used to be so yeah we know it's something that's not going to actively hurt us and and that's something that is or shame us yeah make us feel shameful like we did when we were you know children or teenagers closeted and that's not something we ever want to feel again so if we were put in that situation oh i find a way out of it so fast and but i I think i think if it did happen too we would i i would be I, i this is probably too much but if we had to go in front of a council i would kind of just want to explain like our like what we're doing here and yeah. maybe help change a perspective it's possible that that may be part of your journey in a mm-hmm. positive way for everybody yeah so i don't want to be too prescriptive and say no one should ever do this because it may be helpful for you to and the priesthood leaders are involved in the process yeah and i think it comes down to everybody's you know having good communication common goals and seeking personal revelation on this. And I think you can find common ground like mm-hmm. you're doing mm-hmm. in this whole process. I think the one thing that all, I, I, the one thing that genuinely makes me a little bit hurt as far as this goes, and, and I, I kind of understand why this is the way that it is. And this is something that I really, really wish that someday it will change in the church. And I don't think would cause too much of a ruckus is, um, callings. I, I would love to teach in the elders quorum again. That was one of my favorite callings I've ever had. And Alex and I were dating at the time when it was going on, I was teaching elders quorum in the YSA ward and I loved it. And, and I know that other people really liked my lessons because everybody would come up to, to me or, and everybody knew Alex was at least my best friend. Right. So (laughs) they go to Alex and, and tell Alex or me, like, I loved his lesson. And that was something I took a lot of joy and I think it was really fun for me. It was a good part of my spiritual journey. I think I learned more teaching elders quorum than I ever learned on my mission because I enjoyed it and it was something that I loved. So 
if I was to, you know, rub a genie's lamp and change one thing about the church, it would be, give me a calling, like, give me something that I can express my love for God and, and, and publicly and, and not feel like I have to walk on eggshells all the time and just be myself um, and, and have that spiritual connection. I even like second that, like I can play the organ, but I don't think I can play right now because we only have one organ player in our ward. So, I mean, you know, I bet you can change. I bet you're a great teacher. I bet you're a great teacher too, Alex, and great organist. I love talking, you know, I've sort of decided not to get into advocating for doctrinal changes and sort of my sandbox, so to speak, is what can we do within our current doctrine to improve um, LDS, LGBTQ world? And that's a really interesting one, Parker. Is um, And it's kind of a gray area as far as I know. You know, where do you, do you need to have a temple recommend? In other words, to have a church, what callings do you require to have a temple recommend or be a member in good standing? And there's some that are pretty obvious. Bishop, <laughs> Relief Society president, the Elders Corn president. But then in my experience, just, and I, not when I was bishop, we had, we had a non-member teach Sunday school. Sometimes we treat non-members better than we do members, current members living outside of church teaching. So I remember this non-member teaching in our ward. He was a great Sunday school teacher. Um, he ended up joining the church. I mean, we've had non-member scout leaders. Um, we probably... I've had people in my home ward that haven't had temple recommends that have had callings. So uh, teaching callings, I don't know, but it's just, it, you know, I think it's just something that's worth considering um, with local leaders is how to involve people. Um, I think there's temporal callings that it's easier closing up the building at night, you know, but maybe that's not the best use of your skills. I was in charge of closing up the building at night for three years and I was scared going over at night and walking into every classroom. I brought my dog with me. It was the serious calling I've ever had. I just thought every room, it was somebody, it's, you know, some homeless person that was ready to shoot me. (laughs) But that's a tangent, but that's worth talking about. I think I love the spirit of counseling together and figure out. So what we can do to help members feel involved. I have somebody that's very close to me that does not hold the temple recommend. And he's straight. He's married to a woman. And, you know, his word just loves him. He isn't defined by not having a temple recommend. And he feels fully welcome. And I would hope that we'd look, create as welcoming. And he has, he's participates in the ward to some extent. I would hope that we'd look at you two. You know, I, I don't know, and the ward doesn't know why he doesn't hold a temple recommend. That's between him and the bishop and God. Um, but you guys don't hold a temple recommend. It's probably just more obvious why you don't. You're married to each other in a same-sex <laughs> marriage, so what are so that's more obvious. But let's don't let's don't treat you any different. Um, that's what Elder Uchtdorf says. Let's don't let's don't judge. How hard can I? You know, he sort of talks about let's stop it. Mm-hmm. And so I just think what your word's trying to do and what you're trying to do to me is great. And it's a, it's a credit to everybody involved. And I hope more of that happens. Uh, any more thoughts on that before we move on? No. I'd like to talk about, this is a tangent. Um, this is going to talk about your toxic relationship, if you, just a little bit. Let me just give some background. Is okay. I'm in a couple of Facebook groups of parents that have LGBTQ kids. And one of their greatest fears, as they pragmatically recognize 
your gay or lesbian kid is going to same-sex date is they'll get in a toxic relationship. And they have a lot of fear about that because, I mean, straight dating is hard enough, but sometimes same-sex dating is just harder. There's no roadmap for that. And so they have a lot of fear. And then there's a lot of people that just innocently get into a toxic relationship. They get taken advantage of. Um, sometimes it's an age difference. Doesn't need to be an age difference, but, and you're vulnerable because you're dating for the first time the same sex and somebody that might be more experienced in that space could take advantage of you and isolate you and, and it can become toxic. And so this is sort of just a pragmatic, you know, the realities of the situation. Do you mm-hmm. want to give any advice in this space to either parents or, or people going to date to avoid a toxic relationship? Yeah, I think in my situation, had I felt comfortable being able to talk to my family about it, it wouldn't have lasted two years. Um, The person I was dating actually threatened to out me to my family if I broke up with him. And so there was complete fear. It's control. It's a control tactic. Yeah, and that's what he wanted. And he basically could do whatever he wanted, like cheat and whatnot. And I just had to conform to whatever he wanted. And I feel like if I had... Even even in a church setting, I guess you could say, just to go talk to a bishop to get help or something. It was something that I had to keep within myself. And luckily, I had a, a childhood best friend that lived close by me who I could ultimately, I mean, things got pretty bad and it was very dark. And I just told her everything. And luckily, I had her or it would have been really scary. But just to be able to have the ability to be fully transparent with people would have helped me. Do you have any thoughts on this, Parker? I mean, I just feel like... Because you probably talk to youth that, you know, yeah, people that reach out. Yeah, so we get, we get people reaching out to us both all the time on Instagram and Facebook that are, um, may or may not be in a toxic relationship, but at the very least are in the church and looking for some help because they've seen our experience through our social media posts and things like that and see that we've come out pretty okay through all this and... And, um, but what, what I would say to those that are LGBTQ and LGBTQ parents, um, is that the truth of the matter is, is that regardless of whether you're gay or straight or whatever, there's always going to be toxic people out there. And, and yes, it presents a different set of, of challenges being LGBTQ, but at the same time, like learning to recognize a toxic relationship is not exclusive to a sexuality. And I think for us to be able to just realize that and say, okay, well, maybe I don't understand as a parent that's not gay, but has a gay child, maybe I don't understand what they're going through or like what that, what those certain challenges of a, of a same sex attraction relationship may be there. I shouldn't um, look at it any differently than my other kid that's straight and dating and in their twenties or whatever, and and looking for someone to marry. It's, it's the only thing that's different about it is, is a gender and, and ultimately a toxic relationship can be determined by a numerous amount of things. And that one of those things is, I would say is, is not gender regardless of the relationship. Um, and I, I feel for Alex and I, cause I know all the details of what he went through and I know it was super hard for him and I don't want to, I don't want to discredit his experiences and his story at all. But the truth of the matter is, is that I think 
we just need to realize that toxic relationships happen everywhere. What would you say to yourself now, um, Alex, to yourself in that toxic relationship? I should have gone out when I, when I had the chance. Cause I, I, I just have a lot stronger uh, presence about myself. Like I, I can get out of it and I should have, but I was too weak. I was too scared, but I, I would have the person I am now going back to that point, I would have, I wouldn't put up with it. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that people, and I, it's part of confidence. And I think you just have to gain confidence in yourself because I think you just shame yourself so much growing up closeted gay and whatnot. Did and, you know it was toxic at the time? Um, the first few months I was like in an oblivion, I think, just because it was one of a first gay relationship. And I just felt like that these were things that happened. Um, so I was naive. And then, and then I knew it was very, very toxic. Mm-hmm. So it was very bad. I think he, I, I, and I don't want to speak for you, Alex, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I know that if you had had more support from a lot of people that surrounded you, if they had that feeling of unconditional love towards you, regardless of who you were in your yeah. situation, that you would have been more willing to come up sooner to yeah. them and, and kind of talk to them about it. Yeah, right. And I think I'm sorry we bring up peculiar so much, but I think had like been peculiar been implemented in say in my life, that would have saved me at that point. It would have saved it would have saved a bunch of LGBTQ plus people because it teaches unconditional love, unconditional family. They have curriculums that they're trying to come up with to help all sorts of people situations. And I, I just think being able to be open is something that the youth, anyone needs that is dealing with this. Talk about, talk to people that what were the, what were the red flags that you knew this was a toxic relationship? And this is to Parker's point, speaking to people in straight relationships or same-sex relationships. Now that you're out of it, um, what are the red flags that you realized? Well, I mean, you're going to probably, you guys are going to probably be like, oh, he's dumb. But um, well, no, and be kind to yourself because yeah, well, this one hindsight is sort obvious. of like now I understand, but in the yeah. middle of this, it's hard to have perspective. Yeah. So that's why I love you talking to our listeners about this. Yeah. So he'd be on a, a gay dating app right in front of me, and he uh, would tell tell me, "Oh, I'm not on it to cheat on you. I'm on it to get validation," and I believed him. And then um, he would just, there were certain times we obviously didn't live together, but he wouldn't allow me to go to Provo on Sundays and come to find out that's when he hung out with his friends and they did inappropriate things. And so there were many red flags. I also had people I worked with at the time that met him and they're like, you need to get out of it now just by his persona and how kind of egotistical he was. Mm -hmm. So those are good. And I, as a parent, you just want your kids to be in healthy relationships. So I think, and I love some of the advice you're giving here is to be open to other people. But as I, as a parent, can create a feeling that I love my kids unconditionally. And I want to, I want to not only teach them what values are important, but at the same time, I want to create a culture that they'll always tell me what's going on in their life. Mm-hmm. And I recognize with LGBTQ people, they may feel it's harder to open up because they may, parents may say, I told you so, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and they may, and you may know that conversation's coming. So you're not going to open up. Well, I think if your parent, if parents can say, Hey, let me help you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for opening up. Um, I always want to know what's going on in your life and create that culture. You're talking about peculiar. 
within our families, then I think we do better. Mm-hmm. Can I mention one more thing really quick about this? I, I think it's important. I think Alex, had he had a certain level of dating experience when he got in this toxic relationship, I think that would have really true helped him a lot. Right. And I think it's important in our community, specifically LDS community, to realize that a lot of LGBT, LGBTQ people, when they reach the point of being comfortable with themselves, it's not till much later on in life than a lot of our straight friends um, that are dating in high school, having real relationships in high school and things like that. I, I feel like when I came out and when I kind of accepted my, maybe not came out, I didn't even come out at the time that I kind of accepted who I was um, and started going on dates with Alex. I wasn't, it wasn't until I was 22. And I felt like a 16 year old in my dating experience. So like, I think it's important, especially for families to realize, like you have to learn regardless of who you are, regardless of your sexuality, there needs to be a point in your life when you learn how to date and you learn how to be in a relationship and you learn what is toxic and what is healthy. And when you're going into the dating scene of different levels of maturity in your twenties, for a lot of people in our boat of being LGBTQ, you just don't know what those things are yet because you've never learned. So I think just keeping that in mind and realizing that, yes, they may be a little bit older. They may not see a lot of the signs and red flags or, or good things even because they just haven't had that dating experience. Um, that goes beyond just being LGBTQ. That's maturity. I also think that I think a, an issue that parents have is instead of trying to help their kid, they're trying to fix their kid. And they want them to be fixed their certain way, but that's not going to happen. If the kid's determined to now be themselves, so just help them, help them figure it out. Um, the fixing kind of, I think, makes toxic relationships within the family. Um, and so that's also just another bit I have as well. Mm-hmm. It's a good segment. I mean, it's sort of, I sort of look at this as a pragmatic real life, you know, and so I think it's helpful the things you're sharing. And I look at, I'm no therapist or relationship expert. My wife and I have a great marriage, 30 years. So that's all I have to draw on. But I've always, and as a YSA bishop, I always felt the relationships that are based on trust, communication, common goals, um, and no infidelity, no sort of secrets or no fear or no control. And and you're not in a relationship full of fear or, um, so I think you've got to, those are the relationships that I've always felt the best. Trust, communication. I, I love having Heavenly Father and the Savior part of that. And, and you guys are doing that. And so I just think where you just don't, you know, some of the things, obviously you have a great perspective on this, Alex, because you've been in both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so for those of you, you know, I just think you've, you know, I think there's really good counsel from both of you on that segment. Um, tell me... I want to talk about the wedding. So tell us about the wedding and tell us who married you. Tell us physically, let's have Alex go first. Where did you get married? Yeah, so um, we got married in our backyard um, just a couple of months ago. Um, it was a perfect day, actually. It That's was amazing. I didn't want it to be over with. Like It went by so fast that I wish I could relive it because 
I didn't get to dance as much as I wanted to, but um, it was fun. But uh, Parker's dad was the one that was able to marry us. And he's been a huge advocate for us from, from the start. Mm-hmm. And How did that come about to have one of your dads marry you? Did... He, with his essay that he's written, it kind of made me want him to be it just because he had yeah. so much love and support for us. But he, Parker might have it, well, more. It's funny. And my dad may tell a different story, but this is how I remember it. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. He he was in the midst of writing his essay and he's, you know, the super supportive dad. Like just what everybody wants their dad to be is, is my dad. And I feel so lucky and fortunate. But he came up to us one day when we were at their house and he kind of mentioned like, oh, wouldn't it be so funny if like uh, me as a, like in a bishopric, like married you guys. And it was kind of this like joking thing, but at the same time, you knew he kind of wanted to do it. And uh, Alex and I went home and talked about it and just talked about how that was funny that he did that. But at the same time, we both wanted that. Like we knew that was something that would be very beneficial and then would be an amazing experience to have my dad marry us regardless of his position in the church like that's something that i've i would be honored you know if my parent would want to do that for me so i i think we both kind of quickly came to the consensus that he should be the one that does it who was going to do it otherwise just like a justice of the peace or did you get very far a friend or yeah it was gonna be one of my college professors actually cool um she, I was able to, like, we wrote journals and I came out to her in my journals. So she just responded great to them, but it just felt right having Jack, yeah, Jack Marius. And, and the professor was completely understanding of it. And, and it was so nice to just not have to worry about any awkward tension of telling her, oh, never mind, my dad's <laughs> going to do it. And she was like, oh my gosh, yes, have your dad do it. And it was just it was a blessing. That was a blessing too, in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say Jack and Bettina Parker's parents have just been so great to us. So, and especially to me, like they have always been kind to me, always welcome, welcoming to me. How did you and, handle walking down the aisle? Did one, both of you walk down the aisle? Did one of you walk down the <laughs> aisle? Who walked you down the aisle? So both of us walked down, but we walked with our moms. Mm-hmm. So, so your dad's up there waiting to officiate alone. Right. That's cool. Yeah. And did you walk down to all four of you at the same time or one couple first? And so Parker went first and then I went the, second. And then we even had a lot of bright grooms, groomsmaids, groomsmaids. groomsmaids <laughs> and a lot of groomsmen. So the cool thing about having an, uh, a gay wedding is there's no rules. You don't have to like follow any agenda. And, and we kind of came up with everything ourselves. We just said, hey, this feels right. Let's do it this way. And um, it's nice. It was nice to have that flexibility. At the same time, it was kind of confusing and and not annoying, but just just didn't know what to do. I thought it was fun. It was fun in the end. Yeah, it did happen during COVID, so we had to like cut numbers. But Parker was able to stream it on his Twitch channel as well, and it was cool to see his community watch. But as well, I mean, we've yeah people we haven't even met said, "Oh, we watched your wedding on." On his street, yeah. And- people came over from Facebook, from Instagram. Like we had a rally of support. We only invited about a hundred people to the wedding, and we had about four hundred people watching it live on stream. And um, that included many of my ex- extended family members. And what a blessing to like have the technology to be able to do that now, because 
it would have been really hard to not have a lot of my extended family there. And you know the technology firsthand, Parker. I do. That yes. helps too. <laughs> um, you know, parents listening that are LDS, you know, I want to f- create a feeling like you don't have to do exactly what Jack did, you know, officiate the wedding. I think every parent needs to figure out how to navigate this space. And the last thing I want to do in a podcast is say, this is the way you do it. That's why we have so many podcasts with so many stories is there's so many different ways to walk in this space. But I do like sharing these stories. I don't think Jack compromised anything to do that. I think he was just there for you. As a parent, I want to be there for my kids in all their important moments. And so, and to be able to officiate, there's nothing in the handbook that says uh, a father can't do that. The handbook says you couldn't do it in an LDS chapel. I believe. Um, but that's the only thing that I, and so that may not be, I just, I like that. I would hope I would do the same thing. I, I wouldn't even thought that I could have done the same thing five or 10 years ago. And I don't have any LGBTQ kids, so I will never be in Jack's shoes, but I just think it's worth hearing that story so that parents can figure out, you know, what would I be willing to do that? And what would it mean to my kids? And does that mean I'm I think we create these narratives that then I'm condoning or I'm not supporting the church teachings. I think we're just, Jack is just wanting to accomplish his goal of keeping the family circled together. And to me, that's, and both of your parents seem to be doing as good a job as they can. Um, I, I have to add about Jack. Um, it was really neat. He didn't um, put any barriers up. So he did ask us a week before the wedding if we wanted prayer. Mm-hmm. And whatnot. And so my sister was able to pray. Her, his brother was able to pray. Cool. Mm-hmm. And it, I, a lot of people who were at the wedding felt like. That's really cool. It was a normal wedding. And it was like, it, there was a very spiritual good feeling. Oh, there. yes. And it was like, it felt really good. Yeah. And it's, it's an ode to Jack on that too. Uh, and I complete, I mean, I, I hadn't even thought about doing a prayer at the wedding, to be honest. And it's not because I, I, I'm not. It's not because I'm not a spiritual person or Alex and I are not. We're very, you know, spiritual people. It just wasn't something we even considered because once again, there's no rules. There's no, there's flexibility beyond belief with, with this type of wedding. So we just never thought about it. And he brought it up and we just said, yeah, let's do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. why not? And, and it was interesting because we had such a gambit of people there from non LDS to, you know, every week temple going LDS and, and everybody, regardless, um, I had somebody that came up to me. Who was it that came up to me? And I think it was one of our close friends or something had come up to, to us and said, um, you know, I don't necessarily believe in God or believe in, or I don't know what I believe in. But when Alex's sister said the prayer, I felt something. And that was a really special experience to know that our wedding brought about a spiritual experience for someone. And that's like every missionary's dream, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what we wanted. Every member of missionary we're still members. That was our missionary experience. And that made us feel really special inside. And I get a little emotional just thinking about it just because that's, that's love. Like they felt love. Well, I think, I think like, uh, in the gay culture too, you're put into a box. You're supposed to be a certain way. And I think Parker and I have paved our own path and it's not tailored to any one way or another. It's our path that we want. And I think that that's what was great about the wedding too, is we didn't put any restrictions or limitations on it. And we wanted, we wanted God to be involved. Because he has been involved Mm -hmm. in our relationship. 
up yeah. to this point, certainly. And I just, when you say God, I mean, I could say, well, you're deceived. Satan's deceived. You know, you've heard all these God, stories. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I just learned that my personal revelation doesn't give me the right to judge your personal revelation. I just mm-hmm. honor your personal revelation. I'll just leave it at the Savior's feet. And I'm not going to sort of try to manufacture backstory in my mind to dismiss your personal revelation. Yeah, your, your personal revelations, we all know it's outside the teachings of our church. But I'm just, that's the way I process it. I just honor your personal revelation. And I'm just going to leave it at the Savior's feet. And my job, everything I read in the commandments is my job is to love my neighbor as myself. There's no conditions on that. So that's the way I process it, listeners that have heard me. I, I want to reference the podcast right before this one. It's episode 322. And it's two basketball players that came out of Corner Canyon together. Um, and they did a podcast. Luke is gay. He's at the University of Utah. He's not LDS. He's going to marry a man. And Andrew is preparing for his mission and straight. And they're just, they were basketball buddies at a team that won the state basketball championship. And they're still basketball buddies. Luke came out um, during his senior year as the senior class president. And I asked Andrew if he was going to go to Luke's same sex wedding. And he said, absolutely. And then I asked Luke later in the podcast, are you going to go to Andrews farewell? He goes, absolutely. And it just dawned on me. That's what we do. We support each other Mm -hmm. in their best moments. And so to me, those guys role model, you know, just, and you two, just how we do this. And so here is Luke, I mean, Luke and Parker, Luke and Andrews, sorry. (laughs) What are the differences between those guys? You know, they have a common love of basketball and they were part of that state team. So I just love, that's a great podcast if you want to listen to another one, just about finding common ground. And, and I'm particularly sensitive to that podcast because I couldn't do what Andrew did. I was not for, and kind, I just didn't, I wasn't kind to the gay men in my high school. I just pulled away. I thought that's what I was supposed to do as a committed Latter-day Saint. And if you want to listen to another episode, 321 is Mike Gregson, who just talks about his journey with um, really difficult issues. He's straight and married, but then he's 40 and he is connected with LGBTQ people. And at the end of his podcast, he came prepared with a five or six paragraph apology for all the gay jokes he did to guys like you in junior high and high school. And he just is full of remorse. He is that guy. And if you want to, if you want to, you know, just pretty powerful, you can listen to the whole podcast. It's a great podcast. But if you just want to listen to the end of episode 321 and listen to Mike Gregson apologize to LGBTQ people, I wish we could all do that. I need to do that. We all need to do that. And that's what Christ would want us to do. We heal each other when we apologize. There's so much healing that comes in apologizing and recognizing error. So um, tell, are there other things you'd like to share? I, do you want to talk more about Peculiar? Are there other things that we haven't gotten to that you want to talk about? Um, I, I think it would be good to just talk about uh, what Peculiar is, because I know we, we've mentioned it a lot and how good. unconditional love and things like that, but we've never really like solidified who they are, what they do exactly. Yeah, well, I want to bring up why, just another reason, because... Um, Within my family, uh, my my dad's side of the family, I have quite a few um, gay 
um, cousins and whatnot. And I've lost one to suicide. Um, I also lost a really good friend to suicide as well. And it's just got to stop. But I'll let you go right now. No, no, you're. I, I know it's hard. It's a hard thing to talk about. But this is why peculiar is so essential um, in in our minds. Is that they've partnered with Harvard Medical School, um, a very well established, obviously, organization that get, collects a lot of statistical data behind the reasoning, not only why people are LGBTQ, but also. Um, you know, how that affects the people in religious cultures. And this isn't peculiar, doesn't just, is not just specifically for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its members. It's, it's for every religion and, and spirituality and every sect. And um, basically what they do is um, they teach families how to unconditionally, through statistical research and through emotional research, how to better communicate and love their LGBTQ family, friends, siblings, whatever it may be. And um, basically, there's a lot of organizations out there that help suicidal um, LGBTQ people, um, some really wonderful ones, like one of the biggest ones being like the Trevor Project and things like that. Um, the way that it's been best explained, what Peculiar does is um, you think about a mountain and some an LGBTQ uh, person climbing that mountain and they get to the top and they're about to jump off because they're in such a depressed suicidal state. And what Trevor Project and a lot of these other organizations do, and they're super essential and necessary, is their triage. They help these people that are on the verge of killing themselves not do it. And they help them recover and they find ways to show them love and and bounce them back from feeling that way. And I, I, I hope that didn't sound insensitive to the situation at all, but I think that's probably the best way to explain what they do. Peculiar is at the bottom of the mountain, kind of like the, the trail guides. They tell people, hey, you may experience this in your life. You may, because you're LGBTQ or because uh, your child is LGBTQ, this may be something that you go through. So watch out for that hazard on the way up the hill. And watch out for this before it's basically just a, a safety net before anything even happens. And the goal of peculiar is to lower suicide rates by not having suicide be a situation that anyone will find themselves in because they have the unconditional love of their family and friends. So it's really solving the problem at its core and at its root. And um, that's ultimately what peculiar wants to do is just help people not reach the point of extreme depression and suicide. And I, I firmly believe that with my family and friend situation, had they had a curriculum like this, it, it would have been a, a lifesaver for them. And um, I, I don't know if we can plug it, but if you want more information, you can go to thepeculiar.org. They also have uh, Instagram, uh, The Peculiar, mm -hmm. and you can check things out there. Um, yeah, Alex and I, we're, we're put in a position to start doing a lot of the marketing for Peculiar. And that's how kind of we've gotten involved and what our core focus is uh, with me having the advertising and, and content creation experience and Alex going to school for uh, public relations. We've kind of become the people that are in charge of it. So that's what we're doing right now. And it's been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, we've been able to meet some amazing people and both in and out of the church and many other churches as well 
that provide different perspectives and personalities and allow connection for a lot of our LGBTQ friends and and family and their families and friends that, uh, that may not relate to the community in and of itself. And it allows for um, conversations to happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. Um, we'll link to these all the ways to get to Peculiar in the episode description, listeners. So if you scroll down the episode description, we'll have links to Peculiar because we want more people to connect with Peculiar. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, George and Alison Doyson are two of my heroes. For um, here, they've lost their son to suicide, and that's incredibly tragic. Um, but they have chosen this sort of step in this space. And lean into the pain is one of the phrases George taught me. Lean into the pain of difficult issues and be a voice of support. And they are saving lives and providing hope and healing. And I and they are just very unique, wonderful, special people and all the people connected with that. And I think that organization is the beginning chapters of something big. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the Harvard partnership and there's the research you're doing, it's just there's a need for that. Mm-hmm. And um Talk about, um, I want to read an Elder Uchtdorf. Well, I'm going to read this Elder Uchtdorf quote because it honestly reminds me of the mission of Peculiar. (laughs) Um, Quote, and this is in the book if you want to check it out. Because love is the great commandment. It ought to be at the center of everything we do in our family, in our church callings, in our livelihood. Love is the healing bond that repairs rifts in personal and family relationship. It is the bond that unites families, community, and nations. Love is the power that initiates friendship, tolerance, civility, and respect. It is the source that overcomes divisiveness and hate. Love is the fire that warms our lives with unparalleled joy and divine hope. Love should be our walk and talk. Talk about um, honoring other paths. So some LGBTQ people, let's just talk about LG people. Um, What do you do when you meet somebody that says, I really want to stay in the church and be celibate? Or I want to be going to a mixed orientation marriage. How do you handle those conversations given that path was not your path? Do you want to start? You can. Okay. Um, I just, I think there's a huge amount of respect, first of all, for those types of people that, that are taking a different path than us, partly because um, I, I couldn't have done it. And, and I think, um, I tried. Yeah, we both tried. We gave everything a fair shot. Like that was something that was certainly important for us to know whether or not this marriage was something that we really wanted, regardless of any consequence that may come from it, negative consequence. Um, but I think having a mutual respect for other people's decisions and what they want is something that we both learned very young and uh, through Alex's therapy experience where his therapist wanted to guide him to whatever made him happiest from me and my, my family and and my dad and specifically, you know, supporting me through what I wanted to do. He never told me what to do. And I don't think it's anyone's place, regardless of decision, decision they make, especially in the LGBT space, because it's such a gray area to tell anyone what to do. Um, I think we just need to love and respect that person for their own decisions. Yeah. I actually have a friend I went to high school with who is gay, but he married a woman and 
their relationship works. They have kids. Um, he's very involved in the church. He's loving life. And I, he's a good example. I, I know for me, like I, it was difficult. I tried, I couldn't do it. I almost got engaged. It was very, very hard for me. I almost you admired. told me before we went live that you got engaged. You never held her hand. Yes. Yeah. I never held <laughs> I her love hand. the way that just helps me understand the, the non-chemistry that existed. Yeah, there's zero chemistry, but it almost worked out. And if I guess. there's two straight guys listening out there, I mean, I think we straight people go, well, I get that. I would never hold a hand with a straight person. So yeah. that's exactly what we were asking you to do. Yeah. So, yeah, but I, I admire him to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I'm not, I, at first when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's, that I didn't think it was possible. I'll be honest, but I've learned through empathy and whatnot. We just can't judge people mm-hmm. and they're going to make the best choice for themselves. And so I think it's healthy to, uh, as long, so long as it's not critical or, or pushing people in us or trying to like create an agenda. I think it's healthy to question that. I think it's healthy to ask questions to people that you don't understand their situation because they probably want that opportunity to explain why they feel the way they feel. So especially if people take a different route than what Alex and I took, I mean, I hope it wouldn't offend them that I would want to ask some questions and that's, and that wouldn't be out of being rude or being critical, but just out of trying to understand Mm because empathy is something that's really important to me. Um, so there's a dis- definitely respect, but also I, I would want to ask things. <laughs> it's, great. it's a, it's a sign of maturity where you are, because I recognize that there's so much pressure on you choosing this path to sort of, you know, you, that sometimes it's hard then for you to honor other LGBTQ paths. It's a, it's a challenge an ally doesn't have. No one's looking over my shoulder, judging my path. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but everybody's kind of looking over your shoulder, judging your past. So often my experience is you have a need to justify your path to other LGBTQ people. And I just admire your maturity in saying, we're, we're not going to do that. It may be other people's past, and we may help them know how to make that work and keep the family circled together. But I love that you're willing to honor other paths and not be prescriptive that everybody needs to follow your path. And I think that's I I think that's an important example for all of us. And that's certainly um, what I feel strongly about is each LGBT person needs to find their path and we need to honor their path. And then they can't become, we just, and we can't use that path to weaponize weaponize another path. Mm -hmm. And you all have taught me that. Um, So I want to, we're kind of going long here, but this has been such a good podcast. One of the ways, listeners, I navigate, what do I do when somebody I care about is not living church teachings and I'm worried our eternal family won't be together? And I kind of call that sad heaven I talk about in the book. It's me mourning now a future outcome. And I just think Heavenly Father doesn't want us to do that. I think he wants us to do do the things we can control, like keep the family circled together and and leave any of that to our Heavenly Father. And so... My hope is we don't feel sad heaven. We don't conclude. I hope no one's concluding right now that that you won't be at the family chairs in the next life, so to speak. Um, and I love what Elder Gay, Elder Gay didn't address LGBTQ in particular, but he gave a talk um, 
And this is what he said. Some years ago, my older sister passed away. She had a challenging life. She struggled with the gospel and was never really active. Her husband abandoned their marriage and left their four young children to raise. On the evening of her passing, in a room with their children present, I gave her a blessing to peacefully return home. At that moment, I realized I too often defined my sister's life in times of her trials and inactivity. As I placed my hands on her head that evening, I received a severe rebuke from the Spirit. I was made acutely aware of her goodness and allowed to see her as God saw her, not as someone who struggled with the gospel and life, but as someone who had dealt with difficult issues I did not have. I saw her as a magnificent mother who, despite great obstacles, had raised few better for amazing children. I saw her as a friend to our mother who took time to watch over and be a companion to her after our father passed away. During that final evening with my sister, I believe God was asking me, can't you see everyone around you as a sacred being? So I love what Elder Gay's teaching there. And, um, and I think he's teaching us not to judge and love and not sort of see people with our earthly eyes and see them as maybe perhaps our heavenly parents would see them. And it's hard to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But as we hear stories, we develop empathy. And so you being on the podcast and sharing your story helps all of us. Do you, I'll just give maybe a final comment from both of you. Um, and I'll let you decide who goes first and then we'll, we'll sign off. Um, I just, first of all, I want to say thank you for, for letting us come on and, and share some of our thoughts and feelings. I think this was really good. Uh, just to kind of, it, it's almost like the bow on the, on the present for us. Like we've had this amazing year, despite all the craziness that's gone on with COVID and, and all the, all the things that have happened just with literally everything. But um, we've had a great year. I mean, we got married. We're, we're getting a dog this week. We're picking up our dog Frankie from St. George. What this kind week. of dog? It's a little French bulldog. It's the cutest dog ever. Um, <laughs> we're just honestly, everything's just been very exciting. And to be able to be on uh, a podcast like this and have the space to share some of our thoughts and feelings um, is very important to us because we are truly trying to help others. I think we're finally both in a position after however many years of turmoil and good things and bad and everything to be able to, to help. And, and I, I always want to encourage people to go and, and try to get any help they can. But if we can provide any kind of help for people, we do have, can I plug my Instagram? Is that okay? Uh, We do have a combined Instagram account called Hadley Hone, H-A-D-L-E-Y dot hone h-o-n-e um and you can ask us any questions there or if you just want to say hi send us send us a dm we'd love to say hi to you um we are totally willing and open to continue this conversation outside of the podcast as well thank you parker alex yeah i just have to second that thank you for letting us uh come on here um i i want to reiterate everything that parker said i think parker and i both have big hearts and if we can make a difference in any way we want to, we want to bring hope to people. We want to bring happiness. And I think, yeah, we're going to have our ups and downs, but I think ultimately Parker and I are very genuinely happy people. And I think anyone can have that. Um, and 
it, it's definitely hard, especially this time of uh, what's going on with COVID and the political unrest and whatnot. But you just have to be able to look past people's differences and just love. And we're we're very uh, fortunate and happy to be able to teach this and mm-hmm. hope that we can keep making a difference and a bigger difference too. Yeah. Ultimately, I think we're both grateful that we've been given the ability to be gay because it's allowed us to have a platform where we can in turn help others. It's kind of the roots to a lot of really great things for both of us. And I know it's been said a lot, but with what he just said, it's also taught us a great deal of empathy. And that's what I think is one of the biggest lessons people can learn on this, on this earth. So. Alex and Parker, are great podcast. You two are great men. They're continuing to heal a lot of hearts and bring hope and better understanding. You have a beautiful and unique life mission. And it'll be fun for all of us to continue to see how it unfolds. And thank you, our listeners, for listening to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.